0: Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Gleefe. It's episode 34 of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here with Christopher Gimmer today, uh, who's the founder of Snappa, an Ottawa-based SaaS business that helps you create easy graphics for things like blogs, ads, social media, whatever the case may be. But Chris also is a serial entrepreneur who's had you know different ventures under his belt, and I'm super excited to talk about uh, about just entrepreneurship and the landscape at large with, uh, with Chris today. Thanks for, for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. What I find really interesting about Snappa, to be honest, and I know we're going to go into many things is like right off the bat, what I what I realized was, okay, you're doing 55K in revenue a month, but you're so lean. Like, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're two founders, four employees in total. How do you stay so small but grow so quickly?
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so it's actually, it, it's funny that article, I kind of mixed up. Uh, I, I thought it meant overall team size. So it's it's actually really like, uh, four people in total, with uh, an- another one on the way, kind of thing. Okay. Um, and uh, so we're at, we're actually at uh, 60k uh, US now, so that's kind of where we're at. Wow. Um, in terms of, I-, I guess just because we're bootstrapped, that's just always been uh, kind of built into our DNA, which is um, try to succeed with with as limited resources as possible. And so we've always prioritized like ROI over anything. Um, so you know, before we would hire someone, we made sure that you know we absolutely needed to have this the, this person, um, and what the what the value and the ROI was going to be uh, for that particular hire. So, and the other thing is we've really prioritized uh, culture, uh, which I think is like super important in the, in the early days, especially with when you're a small team so you know we've just been uh fortunate in that we can hire uh just really awesome people that um you know we, we've we all enjoyed working together and naturally we, we've just been able to produce some some good results with, with the people that we have
0: yeah i mean it, it must be uh you know kind of uh, at times uh enticing right to, to raise money especially if you're in tech if you're in SaaS. you hear about these crazy valuations and I think for a lot of people, they've kind of gone off the the path of, look, let's just at least try to make a dollar of revenue here before we even think about raising money. So mm-hmm. how was that path to monetization for you kind of clear early on?
1: Yeah, so some of the some of the ventures, well, the, I guess really the first two ventures that we ever launched, we had zero thought about revenue or, or at least we had some thought, but um, it was it was a type of model where we needed like insane scale before we could start making meaningful money. And obviously that's just not going to work if you're bootstrapped. And and you know, we we hadn't we had no experience raising money or anything. So um, we kind of realized like, you know, if bootstrap something, we need to think more about revenue from from day one. Um, and so with Snappa, like you know, we we could have prioritized having this like super open free product that was like, you know, going viral and, you know, you know, say, okay, let's worry about monetization later. Uh, But instead we really focused more on the paying customers. Um, You know, let's, so we, so we limited the free account more than maybe some of our competitors um, because for us, what was important was the paying customers, right? Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are funding the product. Um, So yeah, that's just something that we, you know, prioritize in the early days is let's create an amazing experience for our paid customers um, and not worry too much about, you know, going viral and having this like, you know, huge free user base that's going to cost us a ton of money to support.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and, and Chris, I'm sure you can attest to this, but in the beginning days, especially when you're, you know, now close to five employees, but, uh, or, or teammates, you know, the CEO is almost like chief everything officer. You know, you're wearing so many hats and you hear this all the time. Uh, how do you focus on kind of like zoning in on your strengths, right? Cause I'm sure you have certain areas uh, that, that you really excel at and, and your other co-founders or, or teammates kind of have, have to deal with, but how do you also manage so many other things that you have to deal with so early on in the game?
1: Yeah. So for me, what I found in the early days was like you said, I was, you know, chief everything officer. Uh, marketing was kind of the main priority, but, you know, then I'm also answering support. I'm also, you know, dealing with all the emails and, and whatnot. And so at a, at a, at a certain point, I got to you know I got to a point where I couldn't um, I couldn't execute on everything that I wanted to. I had a lot of ideas. You know, I'm I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the strategy, but I just didn't have enough you know hours in the day to do it. And so for me, that was a point in time where I said, okay, I, I, we really need to hire someone because. the the value of that employee is going to be just exponential because, you know, they'll be able to contribute day one. I know exactly what that person has to do for 40 hours a week and that will free up so much of my time to to focus on other stuff. So essentially what I've done was um, as soon as, you know, I would get to a level where, okay, if I can unload this, then this will allow me to do, you know, this, which I think is going to be the, the, you know, offer the highest ROI in the long run. And so, you know, even now I'm thinking about, okay, what am I doing now that I shouldn't be? Um, and you know, what needs to be done so that I, I no longer have to do that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of one of the, I guess, which is weird, it's a dumb because it's, it's on one side it's a challenge, but on another side, it's almost like uh, an advantage of being bootstrapped, which is one that you have to be very resourceful, right? You don't have a lot of runway uh, and, and you don't want to burn cash too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time you're really focused on monetizing and growing but to your point like you have to be very diligent about uh, you know how you grow and when to grow the team to meet the sort of demand that that you're currently uh, tackling is that is that kind of a fair assessment of being bootstrapped
1: yeah 100 percent um it's funny we've been thinking more about kind of our uh kind of almost writing out our culture um like we kind of know our culture but explaining it to to Mm -hmm. potential hires so um, we actually just kind of created a, a careers page on our site recently. Um, and, you know, literally what you just said was it's it's communicated on our site that, you know, being bootstrapped is in our DNA and we, we look at ROI ab- above anything else. And so that's really important that when people come in here, you know, we're not going to give them like infinite amount of money that they can just like throw shit at the wall and, and see it's like you know obviously we we have some money uh, to kind of experiment with things but it has to be done very thoughtfully and there has to be some uh some some data behind it to back it up why we should be doing uh, certain things
0: and one thing about Snava that i, I kind of enjoy is is it tackles you know realms that that are interesting i mean in in a sense you know it, it has to do a lot with marketing uh just generally on on the, on the more the, more so on the digital side i would say uh, but what's cool is because it has that recurring piece, it's also uh, very lucrative at the same time. Did you know beforehand that Snappa was going to be, you know, profitable uh, as you sort of kickstarted, or was this something that you had to kind of fine tune as you got along with it?
1: Yeah. So we we were working on uh, some other websites before Snappa, and we knew from the get go that we wanted to get into the SaaS, and a big reason of that was the recurring revenue everything that we had done beforehand in any sort of recurring revenue and you know as a founder it just makes it so much easier to sleep at night when you know that okay maybe your business will plateau or it'll kind of the growth will slow a bit but you know chances are you're it's not just gonna fall off a cliff overnight and so um, and it also makes forecasting much easier so when it comes to you know hiring and um, you know, even, even little things like whether it's worth tacking on a new uh, software bill, um, you know, with that recurring piece, you can more or less project out at least three to six months with pretty good accuracy just based on, you know, how many leads you're getting consistently, what your conversion rates are, what your churn uh, rate is. So uh, it is quite a fantastic business model and it's something that um, we definitely wanted uh, from from day one
0: and just in terms of you know speaking about sort of the metrics and the model um how would you say you've sort of managed to deal with you know the cost cost of uh, just acquiring customers you can call them net new uh for now like not not kind of factoring in um just kind of existing pipeline but i think that's that's something that a lot of you know early stage entrepreneurs have to deal with you know just keeping cac low and and sort of exceeding the value that they can uh, they can absorb through, through new prospects and clients. So how did you do, deal with that yourself?
1: Yeah. So in the early days, um, essentially before we, we launched Napa, we had a, a free stock photo website uh, that was pretty popular. And we also had, uh, another website which had a blog post, uh, that ranked for free stock photos. So literally the day that we, even when we had our, our beta or even before it was launched, we were basically, um, you know, consistently sending leads uh, over to Snappa, which essentially was more or less free to us, right? Like, free marketing,
0: yeah. You know,
1: it was, it was essentially free marketing. Um, and obviously with Snappa, it's a, it's a freemium product. Uh, so with, you know, with any freemium product, your, your conversion rate from free to paid is, is not going to be huge. And, um, you know, the, the lifetime value is also really low, right? Because we're, we're dealing with the, the lower end of, of the market, the SMB market. Um, so we've really focused almost primarily on organic methods and growth. Uh, so for us, it's been content marketing, uh, SEO, uh, a little bit of affiliate stuff. So the 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 you know the cost to acquire is really the time that we're putting into these channels as opposed to um, you know paid paid for example when you you could be paying two dollars uh, <laughs> to get one dollar out kind of thing. Um, but the nice thing about content is that it pays what we found is that it compounds right so uh, a blog post that we've written three years ago is is today bringing in more traffic than it was two years ago right and um and the other thing is you know as your domain authority increases and you're getting more backlinks and you're producing more content it has this snowball effect um, and so that was one thing that we were lucky enough to double down on early on. And it, it takes time, uh, it takes time for the results to show, but when they do like just the other day, we look back and we're like, Holy shit, we're, we're bringing in a lot of traffic here from, from some of these, uh, these blog posts. And it's hard to predict, you know, years in advance that it's good, that that's how much uh, compounding effect there, there's going to be.
0: Yeah, it's very, very, very good point, especially just on the content side. Like, I think a lot of people underestimate what they can do for you. And, you know, too many times they're focused on just pure media outlets, which obviously they're great uh, because they get you the exposure and kind of like a one hit wonder. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the times doing things like podcasts, you know, getting blogs out there, to your point, gets those backlinks up and pushes your SEO. Uh, But at the same time, they're just pieces of content that maybe two years online, someone searches you up and that relevant blog post pops up and now you have like a huge lead you know yeah. and that and that's kind of the, the only issue with that is you know people can't justify marketing up front everybody wants to know what the ROI is for marketing today and a lot of the times it's more of a long game
1: yeah yeah it's uh yeah that, that's a good point it's super tricky um I mean I've had some experience in the past with with content SEO that's pretty much how we uh, we grew you know the other project they're working on so I kind of you know, just from doing some keyword research and some competitor analysis, like I had a hunch that, okay, if we could rank for these keywords and, you know, I think we have these, the skills and the expertise to do it. Like, uh, and sure enough, within about four to six months, we started seeing some, some good results and then we just doubled down on it. Um, so, but yeah, I, I talked to, you know, some people that, uh, either work at, either own or work at marketing agencies and it's hard to sell content to, uh, to business owners because you're basically saying, you know, give me all this money to write this content and trust me that it's going to work in six months. Right. It's a tough sell.
0: Yeah, very true. You know, one of the things, um, just talking about growth uh, kind of comes to mind and, and I, I talk to a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and one of the questions I even get is like, look, how do you find your, your, your team early? Because, you know, for, for example, you and I both come from the from the business side of things. Like I'm business and marketing. Uh, I'm not necessarily uh, fluent in, in software developing, for, exa- for example. And so I have to align myself with people who are. But finding technical co-founders is a, is a big challenge. So how do you go about doing that? What was your kind of methodology?
1: <laughs> uh, my answer is I got lucky. Um, I so, so Mark, who's, who's my co-founder, uh, we actually met at work. We were both uh, working in, in the government. And, uh, we just, and uh, so I, I found, or he kind of showed me some stuff that he was working on. He was just, you know, developing some stuff on the side. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really impressive because, you know, I had like zero, uh, zero programming skills at the time. Well, still definitely not a programmer. Mm. Um, and so at that time too, I was, you know, kind of wanting to, you know, try some new things and, uh, you know, looking at, you know, starting a business and whatnot. And so, we just started like working on stuff together, launching stuff. Um, and you know, we we're fortunate enough that uh, you know, some of those things worked, and you know, we, we've we stayed really good friends, and and uh, you know, it, it worked out. But I know tons of people who done similar things and ended up in disasters, so <laughs> I wish or, I had a that. better answer, but <laughs> I think I just got lucky. But I think at the end of the day, um, the most important thing is. You know, the co-founders like a marriage, right? Um, and you know, Mark and I talk basically every day. Uh, we're we're super good friends. And if you can't see yourself working with someone uh, for the next five years, or if you if if you don't if you can't see yourself even hanging out with that person outside of work, probably not going to be a good uh, a fit for for co-founder.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, the other thing I would add to that is just like you almost have to manage your egos and you can be super emotional about the business. So I think too many times, especially on like very, very early days, I mean, this is probably more important later on, but you know, uh, too many times like founders are so critical of like what the title is or, you know, w- what they do on, on paper. Whereas what it really comes down to is to your point, you have to have that chemistry because um in research shows this: most successful companies actually have more than one founder mm-hmm. because you can kind of share the burden, you share the risk, et cetera but also sharing those strengths and filling those gaps. And so not kind of overlapping on each other. So if you're a technical co-founder, you shouldn't be the one, you know, pitching at TechTO, for example. You know, it's just not, It's is it highlighting your biggest strengths? I think that's the, the question you should really answer.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, uh, we have that exact relationship, uh, you know, Mark's technical side, I'm more on the marketing and business side of things. And, you know, we have a lot of discussion in terms of, you know, what, what features should we implement and kind of just overall strategy and direction. But when it comes time to implement on the dev side, like that's him. I trust him to do his thing with the marketing stuff. He doesn't, you know, he trusts me to do my thing. I don't need to, you know, get a second opinion or whatever. And we've always had that trust from day one. And to your point, uh, like some of the people that I know who've had co-founder issues was a lot more of the, you know they were both marketing people or they were both business focused and they were kind of stepping on each other's toes and i think that's definitely where um you see more of the co-founder issues than when you have um complementary strengths and you kind of trust each other to do what they're good at and um you know you use each other uh when needed to bounce ideas off or whether it's uh, you know emotional support or whatever but you know i think that definitely tends to work better
0: and, and tell me something, because this is what I found interesting as well. Um, you both came from, from the, the public sector, right. Working yeah. for the government. And, you know, oftentimes like, this is why it's refreshing because you left the government. I think you traveled for a while, so we can talk about that, but, but you did start a successful business. And, and, you know, oftentimes like you hear almost like a bad rep around the public sector, like, Oh, they can't grind or hustle as much. Hmm. Uh, how, yeah. What's, what generally like, what's your take on that? How did you kind of, Go about doing
1: it. I don't want to to bash the public sector publicly, but I mean, let's face it. From from what I saw, if you compare the public sector to a company like Shopify, you're going to get two completely, uh, you know, different types of people. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, that's why I end up leaving, just because you know, I just didn't fit. Well, I think in the in, in the beginning. I was, and I still to this day, am more of a risk averse person, but I was kind of, um, you know, following that script of you have to go to school, you have to get a good job, you have to get one that's secure and pays well with a pension. And I I kind of, that's always was the direction that I was heading towards. And then five years in, I realized like, I don't actually enjoy this. I can't, I'm not going to be happy doing this for the next 20, 25 years. I want to do something a bit more. Uh, fulfilling and and you know work with um you know like minded people and then at the end of the day that's and and, and also there's a, a big element of freedom is is just wanting more freedom of my life um and so that's kind of what pushed me towards uh the, the path that I'm on now um but you know that's not to say that there isn't you know talented people in the government um you know that that's definitely not the case but you know unfortunately from what I've seen there is a bit of that um, culture which um, you know people tend to fall into, and the ones that don't, they end up leaving, right? So that's kind yeah. of how it is.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I would I would tend to agree. I mean, because and again, I, a lot of my friends, like I grew up in Ottawa, so a lot of my friends did go to the public sector, some stayed, some left. Um, and to your point, like it's not to generalize to say that, uh, like there are definitely talented people, there are definitely hardworking people, but I think the culture. Uh, it's just different than the private sector, and that's just really the reality. And that's not to say pockets of the government don't, you know, work tirelessly or work lots of hours or hustle Absolutely. as well. But it's just it's a different yeah. mindset, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, and and, and this is this is why I'm, I'm kind of touching on this point because I know a lot of my friends are currently in that position. Um, but they don't really know how to move forward. They don't really know how to take the leap. And so for you, you know, when you're when you're sitting there, say for example, more comfortable, as I should say, and and you're you know you're, you want to tackle an idea, but you just don't really know like is this the right time? You know, is this the right time for me to take on more risk? Were you having those mental battles? So in the early days,
1: um, we we were just doing stuff nights and weekends. Um, you know, I never had that thought of like I need to quit and just. You know, go all in. Like I, I was, you know, way too much of a risk-averse person to, to do something like that. So you know, we were like launching stuff uh, for almost two years, and then we got uh, bootstrap A, which is um, uh, one of the websites where we're actually starting to make a bit of money. And we got to the point where um, we were paying ourselves about two thousand bucks a month um, from that website. And fortunately, in in the government, uh, they actually let you, or at least for me, they they let me take a, a year leave of absence. Mm. Um, so, you know, the worst case scenario was I can go back and get my job. Now, the thing that was a bit scary was I was doing my CPA at the time, so I was two years into it, and I you know dropped out of my CPA. So if I had had if I had gone back. Uh, I would have owed them, you know, whatever money. And I would have also been demoted because I was in an acting role. So there was some risk there. But I also think at that point, my mindset was, you know, I was able to get this to work, you know, almost like a Canadian, let's say 10K a month or whatever. Um, you know, I've developed some marketing skills. So I think my thinking was like, you know, maybe I'll just go work for another company in a marketing role, which is at that time I was kind of where uh, I I realized it was was something I enjoyed doing. Um, And then, you know, fortunately, we we got Snap off the ground. And, you know, pretty early on, we saw that that was doing well. So um, right at the end of that year leave of absence, I, you know, essentially handed in my uh, official resignation. So, you know, I think it's definitely possible to just do it in a methodical fashion, you know, start small, um, see if you can do things uh, nights and weekends, uh, build up that, um, you know, hopefully build up some sort of traction. Um, And then, you know, obviously at a certain point you're going to have to take the plunge, but um, you know, (laughs) build up as much traction and as much certainty as you can uh, before doing that. And um, you'll, you'll probably have less regrets that way.
0: Was there ever a point where you sort of wanted to stop and and just go back, you know maybe to the corporate side or the public sector like was there because uh, i'm sure there's always that uh what i think uh, Reed Hoffman calls the uh the, the value of the dark um the right. value of the shadow i think he calls it but it's almost like that time when you're like look i'm i'm close to the brink i think i'm gonna give up i'm done with this do you ever feel that
1: um not really i mean like i, I took a let's you know i took a massive pay cut, right um I was fortunate in that I was, uh, you know, not, I just got engaged recently, but you know, like, Congrats, man. Uh, thank you. Uh, but you know, no family, no kids at the time. I was still pretty young. So uh, I was willing to, you know, take a pay cut and maybe dip into my savings a little bit. Um, but I just looked at it from the long point of view. Um, and, you know, fortunately we, we were always able to just gradually increase. And then when, when snap when we launched Snapo, we, you know, we got to like 4k and in, in MRR uh, basically like a month after launching. So it became pretty obvious that, that, that was going to have legs. And so that kind of, you know, gave me, gave me the confidence um, that we can do it. And I just was of the mindset that, you know, I don't really care about money right now. I just want to focus on, um, you know, developing the skills, um, doing something that I enjoy and hopefully, uh the the monetary benefits will will come over time and i can you know we'll be able to at least match what what i was making beforehand and you know that's fortunately we were we were able to do that
0: what would you say is is the sort of next milestone for you now i mean uh, as you said it's 55k or sorry 60 uh, at this point um you're you're starting to grow the team would you say growth is the next real big factor for you
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something we're thinking about uh, more and more every day um, where, you know, basically our goal right now is to hit uh, a million U.S. in ARR by the end of the year. So that's kind of uh, the, the target that we're aiming for. And, and that will you know, give us quite a bit of um, freedom in terms of you know, hiring and, and experimenting with, with some other stuff. Uh, and then you know, at that point, we'll just make a decision on um, you know, do we <laughs> keep going at, at as a bootstrap business and just being content with you know, forty to fifty percent uh, growth every year, or um, do we kind of want to shoot for the stars and, and go big? And I don't to this day, or at least right now, I, I don't know the, the exact answer. My answer has always changed uh, slightly since the day that we started this business. So um, we're at least for now, we're just kind of uh, trying to hit that milestone and and you know take things uh, a day at a time for now.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great milestone to shoot for and a very common one as well that a lot of entrepreneurs want to get to. You know that million MRR and a very difficult one. Like I always tell entrepreneurs, man, unless you actually made a dollar in in your you know in your business venture startup whatever it is, you can only then appreciate you know how much effort and fortitude it takes to actually make that in in recurring revenue and so uh, it is very difficult um, but but definitely achievable on that note for you um, would you ever consider i have two i guess two questions on that front would you ever one consider raising capital along the way uh despite being bootstrapped right now and then two how do you like what's your sort of outlook on on the exit because you know i've i've talked to many founders and the pattern in their answer seems to be look george for us we just focus on growing the business. So if you continue to grow the business and you're successful at it, an exit opportunity will come to you versus you having to chase it. And I think that's great advice and just wanted to get your take, even though it's still early in the game.
1: Yeah. So raising money, um, you know, that's something that my, my answer has changed and probably will, you know, maybe change again. Um, my, my stance as of now is we would entertain raising money if the opportunity was very clear, and we thought that the only way to, um, you know, take advantage of the opportunity was to pour some 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 money into it and, and pour some gasoline on the fire, if you will. Um, I wouldn't ever raise money just for the sake of, of raising money so that we can, you know, arbitrarily grow our headcount and get written up in TechCrunch. <laughs> uh, so I would definitely be um you know i i think i was more uh anti-raising money and and you know the thing that scares me is like i've been reading more blog posts recently like buffer you know uh, they're in a very similar space they're, they're doing social media um writing about how they're buying back their investors uh, and another one is like gumroad and uh it is it's just really interesting but at the same time we have competitors uh, with billion dollar valuation. And so, uh, I think the, the market opportunity is there. It's, it's a huge market. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think we just need to figure out, you know, the exact opportunity that we want to go after and, and what are the resources that we need to, uh, to, to achieve that. Um, sorry, remind me this the second question. So oh, yeah, the exit. exit exit. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, we, we you know, we, we never started this business uh, with hopes of exiting or getting acquired. Um, I think the, the best kind of answer or framework that I've heard around this question is, if you sell your company, what, like, does your life change, right? And so, basically, it's like, right now, we're, we're obviously pretty profitable, you know, we can pay ourselves a a decent income. And so if we were acquired and you know, all that's going to change is I'm going to have a bit more money in the bank account, but not enough that I can walk off in the sunset and I'm going to either have to start another company or I'm going to go have to work from someone like, does that really change my, my, my situation very much? Like not really. And so, you know, what is the real benefit of doing that? Um, so however if if um the exit is is enough to where you know theory not that i ever would but theoretically you never had to work anymore and now all of a sudden i could only focus on a project or a startup that i'm like incredibly passionate about and i can take a bit longer to do it and and take on a bit more risk then that's a bit more attractive to me um so you know in in the early days we've gotten acquisition offers and you know, not that we ever like seriously entertain them, but like, my God, if I had sold, um, you know, at a you know, three, four X profit multiple two years ago, I would be seriously kicking myself, uh, right now for, for doing that. And so, um, you know, I think at this point we'd only be interested in, you know, at, like basically, uh, getting acquired from a strategic acquirer who's going to pay, you know, a bit more of a premium multiple. Um, and making the actual deal, you know, really worth it for us in, in the end. Um, and also to make sure that, you know, our product and our customers are taken care of.
0: Yeah, that's a very, very good uh, point. In fact, you know, when I was chatting with Dennis about this, he said, and he's had three uh, exits, one was to Yahoo, and uh, he was basically telling me, look, like, there's, it, it's okay to just run your business where it is today. I mm-hmm. think there's this notion that you have to constantly be growing, and it's not that it's bad, I'm just saying that, you know, Different people have different priorities. And if yours is just to, to kind of sustain on on the finances that it's giving you at this point, then that's fine. Because to your point, what is the W? That's kind of what we ask clients usually on the M&A side is like, what's your motivation? Number one. But also, what does a W look like for you? Mm-hmm. And many times, you know, it's just not the right time. Like, the right advice is just keep growing, keep growing that value, keep showing uh, on the execution side that you can determine, you know, that you can um, put forth attractive uh, metrics mm-hmm. and then everything will be taken care of from that side uh, versus doing it the other way around and chasing an opportunity that isn't necessarily the best for you at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that that is, is the right mindset to have.
1: Yeah. And I think like, obviously you guys are in the MA space. You probably know better than anyone. Um, you're going to get the most attractive price if you're, if you have no uh, reason to sell. Right. And so Always. that's kind of what, we subscribe to is look, we're going to bring the business as if not going to sell, we're going to make this an attractive business. Um, under the the assumption that we're not going to sell. If mm-hmm. someone does come knocking at your door and you know, the, the attractive is or the, the offer is attractive and um, you know, our values are aligned then yeah, sure. Maybe at that point we, you know, we, we talk about it. So uh, but I agree. Like we're we're definitely not going out of our way to try to get acquired at this point. That's for sure.
0: One hundred percent. You know, another thing that I always found funny uh, as a misconception of entrepreneurship. One being age, and uh, an angel once told me a, a line that's hilarious. He's like, "I don't give a shit if you're ninety or nineteen, uh, as long as you execute for me, I'm I'm cool with you." You know, yeah. and so that's very true, just for anyone listening. But the second one is is location, and that's another funny one because if you look in uh, maybe just say north america for now obviously the the pin that everybody drops for successful entrepreneurship is silicon valley in canada that would be you know the toronto waterloo corridor although now ottawa is getting more exposure from shopify and other uh, companies like that but the the example i always bring up is skip the dishes which was uh, born out of uh, winnipeg and they have a phenomenal story they exited for 200 million it got bought by Just Eats, which is a UK-based company. In your case, did you ever feel like Ottawa was a limiting factor for you and that you had to move to a big city like Toronto? No,
1: nah, I mean, I think that's more of an excuse than anything. I mean, sure, maybe... Uh, le- okay, let's back up here. If you're looking to raise money, then 100% Ottawa is not the city that that you want to be in. Uh, so maybe in that case, you're you're out of a disadvantage, but... Like, are are you really at at a disadvantage from growing a business because you're in Ottawa? Probably not. Um, that being said, of course, the network isn't going to be as strong. You're not going to have as many uh, like-minded people. And if that is super crucial to you, if you really feed off of that, then sure, maybe Ottawa is not the, the, the best place. But I can't, you know, I can't say that if I was in Toronto, we would have been more successful than, than we were with Ottawa. Like, I don't really... Uh, subscribe to that notion and you know i think there's maybe certain industries or certain markets where maybe location uh is is relevant but for a uh you know a SAS app where your your market is basically the world like yeah i don't i don't think uh but it, you're
0: it, supposed it, to be mobile. that's the whole point about it <laughs> yeah
1: exactly so yeah, yeah. I've, I've never i've never really felt that way but you know i have entrepreneur friends uh kind of more on the the no bad side that like are you know, they have to be around other entrepreneurs and they have to work at co-working spaces and they they really feed off that energy. Um, that's never really been me. Obviously, I, I you know, have a lot of friends and I, I you know, enjoy going to conferences here and there or, or, you know, meeting up with some people. But I can work in my home office for a whole month and, and not feel that I'm being, uh, you know, tied down or disadvantaged in any way
0: yeah and, and you know the the other thing i kind of realized and this is maybe more on the consumer side forget about st- startup world for a second um is basically like a good product will always overtake good marketing this is just the truth you know and you see this time and time again a, a, you know a good example is um you can throw as much money as you want on marketing but if the product is shit and people don't care about it it's still going to be shit like it's it's just the reality of it and and i think to your point is if you're successful despite of your location I.e. skip the dishes. You're still going to be sought out by a huge company that's going to come and give you a hefty profit for an exit in their case. Uh, Shopify Ottawa went public, became one of the most valuable companies in Canada. Um, you know, and, and also a darling in tech. I mean, we had Lightspeed go public recently in Montreal. That was a nice IPO, great for tech in Canada. And so, uh, I just, I don't buy the fact that, oh, another example for anyone listening is Duo Securities, uh, based in Michigan. You know, they, they were actually the first unicorn and also the first, to, or, or to this day, actually, the, the, they raised the most VC money. So I can give you example after example. just goes to show to your point, you just got to execute regardless of where you are.
1: Yeah, I agree for sure.
0: One thing I want to talk to you, uh, Chris, and you just mentioned you you got engaged in, you know, wanted wanted to kind of wrap your, uh, or pick your brain, I guess, uh, around kind of work-life balance. Obviously, you know Snap as your baby. It's your full time. It's twenty four seven. It's tough to shut it down unless you kind of voluntarily do so. So, how do you kind of manage that?
1: Yeah, so that's funny. Uh, <laughs> so in the in the early days, like, look, um, there's there's going to be a like in the early days, you got to work hard. I mean, there's there's just you know there's just no substitute. So you know, we we definitely, especially when you know working full time at the job, we're doing and weekends. Um, when, when we first launched uh, you know, I'm going, you know, 12 hours a day working on the weekends kind of thing. Uh, but obviously that is, that's not something that's sustainable, um, in the long run. So I think it's okay to have like pockets or, or kind of finite sprints where you, you know, you are working really hard or there's something that you're trying to get out. But in the long run, like you definitely have to develop, uh, some sort of work, like balance some, you know, set boundaries. Uh, because, you know, people say this all the time and I've experienced it. Like sometimes I go for a walk or I'm at the gym and I have, I'll just think of amazing ideas, right? Like I'm not, because my brain's just not in that, in, in that mode. And that is so important, right? Um, so, you know, I think it's, it, it's definitely important, um, just in, even in my, my relationship, like, you know, and, uh, was really bad about being on my phone and not you know paying attention to certain things and so you know that's something that i'm really cognizant of and something that i've you know gotten a lot better over the years is you know being able to actually uh shut things off and to be honest like having a team and having other people around you to to delegate certain stuff like that that definitely helps um but uh you have to be um you know like you you have to be willing to do that. Basically, you can't you can't have the the full burden of the company uh, for for you know multiple years. It's it's, it's just unsustainable.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely like your point around you know being in a more relaxed state is actually the ones where you're most creative. And it's mm-hmm. very true. I mean, I think Einstein was the one who was kind of alluding to that early, and he just said, look, like uh, most of my work actually gets done gets done when I'm really in a more you know Zen state, if you would like, and that Zen yeah. can be me at the gym or in a shower, whatever the case is, whatever kind of floats your boat. Um, But, but that's the one where you're not kind of stressed out or you feel under pressure. You're not going to get any kind of creative work. I mean, if you ever tried to write an article, for example, try to do that when you're really stressed, Yeah, you're not going to produce good work. So I like that point.
1: Uh, Yeah. Traveling, especially, um, you know, I love like when I'm just kind of trying to think of some higher level and, and solve some, some difficult problems. I find, Uh, traveling is you know laying on the beach is is i have some of my 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 best thinking as opposed to you know being at my desk and you know like you said um so yeah i think i think it's definitely important to have um some work-life balance and um just having some time just to think and, and, and just be creative uh as opposed to just do 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 all day long
0: sweet man well look i got two more questions to wrap this up for you but the first one is what. What's something that you do outside the office that not a lot of people would know? Like, could be a hobby, passion, something outside of just <laughs> full entrepreneur. Uh,
1: pretty big into fantasy football. Okay, um, that's probably something that most people wouldn't. Uh, so you know, September to or September to December when it's Sunday, uh, I'm watching football and uh, keeping up with my fantasy team.
0: What did you think of the recent uh, OBJ trade? I have to ask that one. I'm not a huge fan, but, like, I, I keep to date.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the Giants are in a rebuild mode. Uh, I don't think they're going to – they're winning any Super Bowls anytime soon. They need a quarterback. Uh, so, you know, I th- I think he was a bit unhappy, and maybe they thought it was a bit of a cancer in, in the locker room. So, you know, it could be – you know, we'll see. <laughs> I, I think it. the Browns are all, all suddenly looking loaded. Uh, <laughs> offense. so. I think they're going to be exciting to watch next year.
0: Amazing. Well, last one for you, my man is for someone listening right now, they're probably, you know, wondering the back of their mind is what's that one piece of advice that you would really, really give or that's helped you along the way?
1: Uh, I think, uh, well, two things. So number one is like literally just getting started. I mean, There's so many people that there's only so many blog posts and and podcasts that, that you can listen to eventually you have to actually take action so um and and people think that you know they need to start out with this amazing idea and you know they need to take over the world from day one like just start something small just something that's easy to get off the ground and just learn some basic skills uh and the second thing is just patience um Things take time. Uh, we, we live in a world of instant gratification. Uh, you're, you're not gonna launch a new startup and get rich overnight. You, know, you have to put in the work. Um, I, was, and, you know, I was having this conversation last night with, with a buddy at dinner. You know, two years ago, there's things that have happened in the last three months that I could have never predicted. And I guarantee you, two years from now, things are gonna happen that today I would have never been to to, to be able to predict. So there's this kind of element where you just have to be in the game and eventually through serendipity, opportunities will just start to come your way. And I feel like the longer you do something and and the the more stuff you put out, the more people you meet, the more um, creative you are, eventually more and more opportunities will start to come your way.